All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here today. Uh, I got to call my mom today and apologize. I wasn't trying to look like her, but uh, that's the way it ended up. I looked, I was like, oh my gosh, I look like a mom. Oh, well. Anyway, attempting to throw. Hey, we're going to have a great time at this series. Don't forget the invitations, okay? We're going to have a lot of fun. We've got dramas. We're going to have some uh, comedy and uh, some uh, fantasy in there, a little sci-fi sprinkle dance. We're going to have some fun. And uh, as I said, presenting the gospel, going after some Bible truths just in a creative way. Um, Okay, so we're finishing up our series, What Happened Next? We started back just after Easter, going through the book of Hebrews trying very, uh, uh, in, a, in the uh, best effort way to go through this whole amazing book in seven weeks' time. Is, there's no doubt that's been a challenge. And so I'm kind of torn. I'm glad on one hand uh, uh, and excited that we've dug in and kind of sad that we're going to close the chapter on it, but excited at the same time to move forward and wrap this thing, this thing up. So that's what I'm going to do today. In our week seven, we're going to wrap this up, this study in the book of Hebrews in week seven, the conclusion, running the race. So the writer, again, for those who may have been your first time here, we've been going through the book of Hebrews and what we have discovered, the writer uh, <clears throat> who is motivated, excuse me, motivated to encourage this group of Christians who have been faltering. They've been wavering in their faith. They've been struggling. Clearly, they're Jews. And of course, the name of the book is written to the Hebrews. And so these are Jews that have been converted, and they're tempted to go back to their old ways. They're going back to their religion. And the writer is very passionate about telling them exactly why that's not a good idea. And so we learned several things. I'm going to go through them very quickly. So in week one, we talked about focusing on Jesus. He said, look, don't lose focus on Jesus. And then he says, believe in the work. Jesus came, and he had a particular purpose that was prophesied, that it was laid out specifically, and it was a brilliant plan of God to both send the perfect son of God who could be both the priest and the sacrifice to do a perfect work, and he said, believe on that. Don't forget it, and then the writer says, rest in this work. Rest in the work of Jesus. What Jesus did is brought a faith to you, an experience that now you can rest from all your effort in trying to earn the favor of God. He said, that's done. Don't go back to trying to do that. Jesus, in his words, now make complete sense. When he said, come to me, you who are all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This rest spoken of in scripture is the very rest that Jesus purchased on the cross for us to have. That again, we don't have to, we don't have to try to earn our salvation. We don't have to be constantly reminded of our failure of, of never quite a, being uh, able to approach the throne of grace. But now we can. Now through what Jesus did, we can approach his throne of grace and receive help in our time of need. And then the writer says, remember the new covenant. He said, the old covenant. He says, you can identify with the old covenant. You grew up in that. You understand that's your heritage. He says, but now there's a new covenant, a new agreement that God has made. And it's through the blood, not of bulls, goats, and pigeons anymore, but it's of the blood of Jesus. He said, that door is closing. That's over for you Jews. He says, there's a new covenant that has been opened through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the curtain has been taken away. It's been replaced by Jesus himself who says, come on in come boldly before this throne of grace. Then we talked about the suffering. He said, now some of you have suffered for your faith. Some of you have been in prison. Some of you have, have, have suffered in various ways, both just in resistance of pulling away from your, your, your heritage, your culture. Some of you from the, the, the civil authorities that have been taking your property from you, uh, uh, persecuting he, you. He said, but don't give up. 
Don't, don't give up. Know that your reward is coming, a rich reward for those who will persevere. And he says, so he encourages them. And then last week we talked about faith, which was always the goal of the writer to say, look, this is all about faith. It began with faith. It will continue in faith and it will finish in faith. Believing that what God has said is true. And so he said, all of these promises in the scripture are now yours. All these promises are yes and amen for you. Now today, we're going to talk about the straight course because he's now he's going to encourage them. He's saying, now look, after all that Jesus has done for you, now that all that he has prepared for you, he says, there is a race you're supposed to focus on. And this race is the remainder of your life until you reach the finish line, your obvious death and the transition to go and to be with him forever and ever as he promised. He says, it's a race. And he said, <clears throat> you're getting ready to see what the whole focus this is all about. So last week we ended with this, these, these verses and we'll begin with them today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author, and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. So he says, look, there's a race that is set before you. And there are things that are hindering you, and there's a way by which you must run. And so that's what I'm going to focus on today. I want to give you three ways and how we can prepare. And how do we prepare? How do we run this race? Well, folks, we've got to train, okay? We've got to train. That's what this is about. And the writer is going to bring us to that. He says, look, anything that's important, anything that's worth doing, you have to train to prepare it. So in that way, <clears throat> I'm going to use that analogy this morning. When we think about getting training, we have Tammy here. By the way, Tammy, I want to mention this since you've been back, that uh, you, wanted, you lifted the bench press, the, the largest weight in the world. Is that correct? As a female, in any category. Is that right? In the Open and the Masters. In the Open and the Masters. This is the strongest lady in the world. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Isn't that amazing? Did that blow your mind? So I couldn't talk about training without mentioning her, and that's why we all treat her very, very nicely, by the way. Uh, well, that's quite the moniker to have, is it not? <laughs> that's amazing. But so we're going to talk about training here today. So if you want to train, whether you came to Tammy or, or anyone else, and you came and you said, I want a personal trainer. And so you walked in and said, and, and say, take for me, for instance, if I walked in and I said, okay, look, uh, oh, I got a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I walk in with Arnold, and I show it to them, and I said, I want to look like Arnold. The trainer is going to look at that and say, okay, first of all, be, before he says that's impossible, he is going to think in terms of at least getting me close, right? So he's going to say, okay, all right, that's what you want. You better get ready because you're going to have to endure some hardship. It's going to take work. That's my first point here today. In order for us to train and to become what God has called us to be, the writer in Hebrews is saying, you, okay, from here on, now that you've established faith, now that you know what you're called to be and why you're called to be it, prepare for a training session. Understand that this is going to take some work. So let's begin here. Number one, endure hardship. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Endure hardship as discipline, the writer says. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, 
not true sons and daughters at all. And it makes sense. What he's saying is, you know, if God completely ignored you, then he would never have any aspect, any involvement in your life. He just would ignore you, moving on. But he does love us. And because we do now belong to him, that he is going to be actively involved in our life just as a father would, but, and, and also a trainer. And, and to come and do some things. So what he starts off, he says, endure all hardship is discipline. We'll come back to that. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, training, important word here. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Some of us come to him broken. Some of us come broken down. And yet here he comes. He wants to heal us. He wants to train us. He wants to make us strong so that we can run this race that he's marked out for us with alacrity, with strength, with focus, with passion. So let's look at what is this hardship? So we've got, we've got really two analogies that I'm introducing here. One, the fatherhood of God, but also God being a trainer. So I've introduced that one. So when we come and we talk about in hardship, that's exactly what it's going to take. We are going to have to realize in order to grow that God has a goal for us because doesn't training imply a goal? Of course it does. Training for what? Well, you're going to train for a, train for a marathon or Train for the world's strongest woman in the world. Train for uh, running a race or training to, to do anything. It implies what? A goal. And so God is saying, you need to train. And God is going to be our trainer. And he's coming and the Holy Spirit, we've already talked about the role of the Holy Spirit being that paraclete or helper. But now it's neat. We've got this, this little addition to the process of this relationship. In order for us to run the goal we're not having to re-preach how much he loves us. We've established that. We're not having to re-teach the fact that we can come boldly before his throne of grace. We've established that. Now we've got a wonderful relationship with our trainer. And we've come to him and said, what do you have in plan for me? Well, I got a hope and a future for you. I got something awesome planned for you. I want to make you holy. And in the holiness that comes from your life, you're going to impact this world with your message, with your life. And people are going to turn to me as a result of what they see in you happening. And so what does that require? Well, going back to my analogy, you got to show up. You got to go to the trainer. You got to say, okay, here I am. Um, all right. They say, it's going to take some work. All right, well, I'm ready. And that's exactly what we have to do. We have to submit to the Holy Spirit's work who goes to work saying, okay, now, we're going to go through some, we're going to, we're going to toughen, we're going to strengthen up some muscles. We'll get to that here in just a bit as to what muscles we're really talking about needing to get strengthened. But that's what goes on. So what, I, what I'm telling you is that initially, folks, this is, going, this is not going to be easy. No one ever said that the Christian walk was going to be easy. It is going to be tough. And it, Jesus said that. He said, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. You're going to stand out like a sore thumb in order to become holy. I was talking with Jamie just the other day, and I, and I wrote holiness up on the, on the whiteboard because we were just talking about some things theologically. And I wrote it on the board, and I looked at it, and I turned to, to those who were in the room, and I said, why are we afraid of that? Why are we so afraid of holiness? 
Because it just seems to be that as a church, as a whole, as a culture, that we're running from that. We're offended by holiness. And, and really the reason why is because we don't understand it. We don't, don't, we don't understand what it is that is, is going on there. We think it's a cuss word. We think, and, and, and I think, and I, you know, not to slam on anybody, but I think it's also a movement even among churches to not ever mention the word, to even talk about the process. But if you read in scripture, you find out that is exactly what I've just read to you. That is exactly what he's training us for, to become like him, to become like him. And what is that? See, if you can have any action involvement with the Holy Spirit, let's remember that what, his desig- what, is, he, what is he? He's holy. And the trainer is going to obviously try to make us like us, right? I mean, if you go get trained, they're not going to try to, I mean, I'm going to make us like him. But if we go to a trainer and, and, and we're expecting that trainer to make us something else, well, that's kind of silly, isn't it? Now, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to do what? Make us holy. And it's going to come through some struggle. It's going to, so he's already mentioned the fact that some of you have already endured some hardship. But what has happened is they, as a group of men, have shrunk back. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't, don't you understand that discipline and, and, and hardship is going to actually bear fruit in the end, just as a trainer is going to experience that. It's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. This hurts. I remember the two-a-day practices in football. You get to the first one and say, that hurt. You're going to do that to me again in the afternoon? No way. But we endured it. You went, you keep going because you have a vision in mind. And then scoring a touchdown, winning a game, wearing the, infor- the, 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 the uniform, getting the girls. I didn't say that, but you know what I'm saying. You got a vision. You got something in mind. And so you, you, you're training and you're enduring. And, and, and on the field, in the middle of August, as you're sweating and struggling and smelling, you know, you got a decision to make. I'm going to continue to endure this to reach a prize, or am I going to bail out and sit in front of the air conditioner drinking suicide slushes all summer? As my coach used to say. Because that, we do have a choice. We do have a choice. And we can shrink back from it as they did, or we can allow God to get a hold of us and begin to get caught up in him, and he begins to train us. Now, what we're going to see is hardship. And this hardship is going to come in what he uses the word discipline. And that's going to have an active and reactive uh, part of your life. Okay? Okay, so the proactive part is you're going to endure hardship as you move forward to be different. In this world, you will have trouble. He says, don't worry about that. I've overcome the world. But as any of us have learned already, just to stand up for our faith, even just for a second, whether it be in a public school or in college or or with your friends or on Facebook, it doesn't matter. The moment you begin to quote scripture, it's, it's on, man. And you begin to walk in your life. You begin to stand up for what is right and what is true and what is holy. Wow. Especially right now. It's highly politicized. And, and, and it has always been this antichrist spirit that wants to crush, crush the Christian because for some reason, people have got in their mind that becoming holy is an evil thing when it's not. The whole point is becoming like God, more like him makes us happier, more full of joy. We'll get to that in a bit. But so we got that proactive uh, hardship that will come and it takes discipline to endure it. Now the reactive, that comes from the stuff that comes up in your life. As you are walking this out, you begin to find that there is still undisciplined areas of your life. There's different areas that the Holy Spirit wants to get after. And so it's very much like, I, I'm, I've been using this analogy, I'll stick to it, that as when I coached for a long time, 
young boys uh, in baseball. And so as a coach, I would walk out on the field, and one of the things that I would do is I'd work with these young boys, and I would begin to just kind of evaluate each one of them and say, okay, you're holding that bat wrong. I don't know, who taught you that? How, I mean, well, let's not talk about it. How, how, you, you learned it wrong. And you're also throwing the, wrong, the ball wrong. You're not holding it right. You're not taking the arm back. In the, so let's work on the, what we call the fundamentals. And so now as, as a good coach, a loving coach, perhaps even father-like, you're going to present this to him in a kind way. You're going to point those out. You're going to smile at them. And you're going to, as I did, I, was, I never embarrassed a kid. I would just pull them aside and say, hey, man, look, I want, this is what I want you to do this weekend. I want you to pull out the batting tee, and I want you to swing the bat just like this over and over and over and over again. You need to relearn some things. So working like that, that's the training. That's going after those things. Well, then a game comes. That boy gets out on the plate. He swings the bat wrong all three times, strikes out one, two, three. Now, when he comes off the field, am I going to walk up to him and just slap him across the face? You moron, what'd you do that for? And yet that's what we all think is going to happen. That's even what maybe you have experienced at some point in your life. But that's not God. That's not God at all. And that's not what a loving father or trainer would do. So what I would do is just wait until the game is over and pull him aside and say, hey, man, so how did you think you did today? Well, I struck out all three times. Do you know why? I'll swing the bat wrong? Yeah. Tell you what, let's go back over this again, buddy. Let's keep working on this. Not going to embarrass you, not going to shame you, not going to do any of that. We're just going to learn. We're going to grow because I am training you. I am coaching you. Now, that's using that analogy. Now, let's look at the rest of our life. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's there to come and coach you. He's going to point out some areas where you're holding the bat wrong, where you're living right, I mean, living life wrong. Well, you're doing it wrong. You're making bad choices, you're, you're, you're drawing on wrong wisdom. You're, you're, you're doing it like the world does it. And God, because he loves us, is going to confront it. Why? Because he loves you. Isn't that what I just read? God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes it, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters. Moreover, we've had those human fathers. He goes on and just uses the whole analogy to say, when God gets in your way, that's a good thing. It's when God ignores you, be afraid. But when God loves you, the scripture says that God resists the proud. And we talked about this last week, but so I want you to see the difference. I mean, God could ignore you and just say, well, just have at it. But if God really loves you, not only does he get in and speak to you and maybe speak through someone else, but he begins to allow difficulty to happen. And guess what? In some cases, he's the author of it. He's getting in your way. So my kid, my children, you know, when they're little, real little, and they're wandering around there on the parking lot, and they're getting ready to go into traffic. Now, what, it, now so what the, our culture is suggesting and what some Christians are suggesting is that I just say, you know, he'll just figure it out. He'll figure it out. So just let him go. That's it. Lesson learned, game over. But as a good father, what am I going to do? Not only am I going to say... And my course is a long goal, and that is to train him to do what? Listen to my voice. And know when I say, stop! He turned around, yes, sir. Instead of just continuing to push on through that, and in some cases, they think stop means go. But, in, but 
But what God does is he not only does he say stop, but sometimes he gets in our way. Sometimes he's like, nope, not letting you do it. No, 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 no. Sometimes we have to do that as parents as well. Take him to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Uh, no, you're going to get in their way. You're going to hold their hand. You're going to do whatever it takes to save them, protect them. Isn't your Heavenly Father doing the same? We're getting this analogy straight out of Scripture. So we're not doing anything strange here. We're, what we're doing is we're running with what the Bible has told us, that he's a loving father. He, this is what he's going to do. And so proactive, reactive, the reactive part of God's discipline is, yes, sometimes you, we, we get a little spank from time to time. And what we need to do, what has he told us? Endure it as discipline. If difficulty comes, the first thing we need to do is back up and just say, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? And if God just says, you know, this is just as a result of living in this world, I'm teaching you, I'm training you, I'm letting you go through some things so that we strengthen some spiritual muscles. But he also might just say, I'm trying to get your attention. You're not doing this right. My, My word, I mean, I taught you that. You know, my son talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. And then Paul, on several occasions, went over this again and again and again. And you're ignoring it. I love you, and I want to bring it to your attention once again that this is not a healthy way to live. And so he gets in our way. So the hardship will come. And we endure it, and we embrace it. But if you think about it, guys, isn't that how we change? Isn't that how we transform? Isn't that how we improve with the goal in mind? See, we all embrace it when it comes to sports and athletics. We all embrace it. Everybody says, oh, yeah, well, man, they beat the mess out of me. Oh, that was so cool. I'm glad. But when God even thinks about doing it, it's like, oh, it's all religion and it's all this. How is God any different? How is God any different that he loves us so much that he wants to press into our life? Does he not have the right? Does he not have, uh, well, yeah, the right. And, and, and why? Because he died for you and me. He died for you and me. He purchased us at a great price. And now he has every intention of helping us discover that which is good and right, that we might become more like what he wants us and that we could be able to run with real joy toward the goal that he has for us, and then that erupting into eternal life with him forever. Folks, the second thing we need to do in order to train is we got to throw off the entangling things. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So it's interesting. there's, There's really two categories here. There is throwing off the things that are distracting, and they're not necessarily sin. Isn't that interesting? Now, and then there's sin, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But he's just talking about those things that distract us, that can actually get in our way, and really, well, and, and I kind of see it as Christians sometimes just relegating, you know, this, this whole experience with God just to religion and ritual. And it's just like, well, you know, I hang out with God for an hour and a half on Sundays. The rest of the time, I just do whatever I want. Well, that's not real training, and that's not real relationship, and that's not really what Jesus died for us to have, and it's never going to really change your life. Sorry, it's just not. So he's saying, throw off the things that hinder you, those distractions in your life, those things that are keeping you from being able to run after him. He goes on, make every effort to live in peace 
Now, he's going to describe what the sin he's talking about here. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. There's the goal. Living at peace with people and to become more like Jesus. That's what the trainer's after to do inside you. He wants to teach you how to love people. He's going to do it. And so he's going to mix you up with other people. And you're going to learn their weaknesses. You're going to learn your own weaknesses. And you're going to have to look at each other in the eye and say, I love you no matter what. Why? Because Jesus died for me and you. He died for them. He died for me. I'm no better than they am. There is no room for boasting here. No one's more spiritual than another. No one has a better situation than the other. And I'm talking all across every economic line, racial line. We are all his kids. And we got to learn to get along. Then he goes on. He says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And he throws that in just to counter anyone who might just suggest otherwise. But verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. He mentions three things, which is why, I'll just throw it out there, why I think Paul wrote this book. I'm going on record in saying that, Chris. I'm going to do it. And there's reasons for it. If you finish the rest of cha chapter 13, you'll see he talks about Timothy. He talks about various things that are so Pauline. Anyway, that's just my two cents. But he goes on. So let me go back to the top of the verse. He says, make every effort to live at peace, right? Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. There it is. That's what keeps us from being able to run the race. And that is, isn't that interesting? That he throws grace in there, which is why I think this is so Paul. He throws grace in there because the writer knows, the Holy Spirit knows, and now we know that the only reason and how we can change, how we can ever become holy is but for the grace of God. It is the grace of God. It is the work of the cross. It is God's grace that causes us to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is the grace of God that comes and helps me, teaches me, trains me to say no to ungodliness and to embrace kingdom priorities. It is only the grace of God that works powerfully inside me. And I only get that grace when I submit my soul in humility to him. That's it. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to make it happen. I can't make myself holy. I didn't die for me and you didn't die for you. You've got a savior. You've got a Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit who's ready to make that happen in your life. The only requirement is to recognize that that is true and to humble yourself. So he's saying, don't forfeit the grace of God. And he goes, now he's going to go on and show us how we can forfeit it. Three main things. He says, don't let bitter roots rise up among you. Bitterness will shut it down. You want to know how you shut down the grace of God in your life? The powerful work. In other words, can I go the whole way? What will shut down the transforming power of God in your life or slow it down are these three areas. Bitterness. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 18. He says, hey, look. Do not thumb your nose at forgiveness. You've been forgiven, uh, forgiven a great amount of sin. You can't turn around and, and judge others. You cannot be offended at people, not one second, not one millisecond, but in your heart, be able to release them as quickly as possible, possible regardless of whether they did something really, really bad to you or, or you just perceived that they did something or they ignored you. It's amazing how quick we get offended, how quickly we get offended. And, and, and no, Christian, 
You cannot hold on to that, not one millisecond. Because the moment you do, it begins to extract the grace of God. It begins to, to steal your ability to see vision spiritually. Spiritual eyesight is being taken away, and you can't foresee the evil and take and, and, and vice. But th- folks, this is, this is counseling 101, by the way. So bitterness, got to get rid of it. That is one of those sins that easily entangle us and keep us from being able to run the race. Secondly, he says sexual immorality. He says immorality, without question. You know, it's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's just curious as to why our culture, all of this is being focused on. And, there's the, and, and even Christians are trying to redefine what immorality is by going to the scripture. And I mean, the, the bottom line is there is absolutely no way that if you're honest and believe in the literal translation of the Bible as it was given to us, there's no way that we can bypass this whole idea of what sexual immorality is or it, it isn't. There's no way. And yet what he is saying here is that is one of the ways that we can forfeit the grace of God, get us lost, get us off track, and invite difficulty and discipline into our life. So as as a pastor, for many years, people would come into my office and they'd say, look, pastor, I need prayer. Okay, let's talk about that. I got difficulty going on. Well, let's talk about that. What's going on? I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this. And it's just everywhere I turn. I don't even know if God really likes me anymore. I, I, I believe. I read. And then, of course, as a pastor, being well-trained, I look at him. What am I going to do? Okay. Who are you bitter with? I'm not bitter with anyone. Where, there's, where is there sexual immorality in your life? Unrepented. I don't have any of that either. Well, then, it must be idolatry. And what is Idolatry. For the modern day, it is a subtle sin of wrong priorities. It is us living our lives in such a way that God is not the first and foremost in our life. It is letting anything else. Of course, we know what can lead to that, of course, is the greed, the money issue, where we live our lives according to materialistic. When we live that way, folks, it will we'll forfeit the grace of God. Over and over and over, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs and other places that the love of money, it's the root of all evil, just that, that lust is the very thing that can open up the door. And so he's saying, look, man, avoid those things like the plague. Forgive people. Don't get yourself into sexual sin. Get away from pornography. Get away from illicit sex. Get away from this, what the world is now embracing. It will hurt you. God cannot be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. Sin is death. You're not going to die when you, when you first commit it. Uh-uh. But it's going to set loose this slow death that begins to choke off for the Christian what it does. It doesn't kill us. It doesn't destroy us. It doesn't cut us off from our relationship with God. But what it does do is it begins to choke off the grace of God, which is our breath. And we begin to experience difficulty. Is that God's cruelty? Mm-mm. He's your daddy. And when I catch my children with their hand in the cookie jar, because I'm a daddy and I love being a daddy, I'm not going to slap the mess out of them. I'm not going to beat them. I'm going to say, ah, 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 get your hand out of that jar. Come on. And now as a father, am I going to sit there and just punish him for the activity? In other words, create behavioral uh, change through just modification? No, 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 no. I'm going to go to the heart. And what's the heart? It's disobedience. Why? I know you want the cookie, but it's, there's something deeper than this. And that is that you're not listening to daddy's words. 
See, as a parent, as a father, Andrew and I, as parents, our goal is not behavioral modification as the world teaches. And we wonder why we have the mess in our culture today. It's because we've bitten into this huge lie that if I can just change and get children to do what I want them to do, that they'll have a happy life. Uh uh-uh. uh. You got to deal with the heart, you got to have that heart. And God has his heart for us, and when we embrace it. So I'm going forward with it as a parent because i got a double you know, message here. But as parents, we've got to raise adults, not raise children. And they will rise to your expectation. And if you don't have any, well, guess what they're rising to? Vision for their life. So that's parenting kingdom style. Multiply that times a million in what God the Father is doing for you and me. He's got a vision for our lives. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not do any of that. He just, but he does resist us from time to time. He does let in a few struggles from time to time. He does allow us to kind of stand back and say, man, you've been asking me and asking me and pushing me and pushing me and pressing me. I'm just going to let you have it this time, and you're going to see. You're going to get burned. And then we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. And he's not there to slap us. He's not, he's, what does the Bible says? He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to receive us and pour out all the grace. Paul teaches that in Romans chapter 6. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in that stuff any longer? The goal is to get away from it. But in his loving, merciful, faithful love for us, he is going to continue to help us. Oh, you, it's just like that kid striking out at the plate. He comes, he puts his arm around and says, you did it again. Yes, sir. Well, it's okay. Let's keep working on this. I love you. I'm for you. I want to see you succeed. See, that we lose sight of the goal here. The training, the discipline has a goal, a purpose, and that's to make us more like him. And not just some cruel, I'm going to make you all like a bunch of zombie, little Jesus zombies. Uh-uh. What does he know? We will be happiest there. Well, I mean, there's a greater theological connection here as far as going back to Adam and Eve in the garden, amen, so on and so forth. Folks, the final point is this. We've got to build the key muscles. Got to build them. And what are the key muscles? Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well. Now we've got warfare. Three analogies. Father, training, war. That's another thing we're being trained for. Spiritual warfare. Verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience. If Tammy were going to train you and you walked in and she would look at you and say, yeah, these are your muscle groups that are weak. This is what we need to work on. This is what we're going to help strengthen and make better. God's the same way. You come to him and he goes, hmm, faith and a good conscience. We need to strengthen those. Because faith is the doorway to everything. Faith and growing in faith opens the door to believe that my sins are forgiven. Open the door to believe that God wants, has a good plan and perfect plan for my life. It is to believe and embrace God's purpose for my life. It is to believe and embrace that when I run hard, he's going to be with me step by step. Nothing happens spiritually. Nothing without faith. And so that muscle has to be not underdeveloped as so many Christians, but it needs to be overdeveloped. It needs to be like Arnold and his pectoral muscles, which were apparently the largest in the world at the time. 
little free fact there. You ladies are going, ew. Anyway, moving on. Holding on to faith and then a good conscience. We just talked about that. What is a good conscience? Folks, it's, it's embracing the truth that we need to be free on the inside. We already learned in the book of Hebrews that blood, bulls and goats and pigeons could not, it could take away, it, what it did is it, it staved off death, but it did not restore the soul. It never changed anybody, but the blood of Jesus will. It will, he goes on there back in, what is it, uh, eight, nine, he said it is through the blood of Jesus that our, our consciences are cleansed from acts which lead to death. Our consciences are cleansed from acts which lead to death. Folks, that's the goal, is to get our heart right, to get it clean, to recognize the difference between sin. That's what holiness is. What is holiness? Becoming more like God. Being so hypersensitive that our conscience be like skin that is not calloused. See, when your hands get calloused, you can get to the point where you just don't even feel it anymore. Or if you get nerve damage, you have no hope of ever feeling it again, apart from healing. But our conscience is supposed to be so sensitive that when something is irritating, even just a bit, we're like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> what do I say? What am I thinking? We need to get to the point when we, when we feel a disquiet in our spirit, we ask the question, what's going on? I do that. As a matter of fact, Going back just a few years ago when I went to that sabbatical, that was the one thing I came away with was a deeper, more clear awareness, and, and I call it self-awareness, of knowing why am I happy and why am I sad and stopping. When I feel depression, when I feel sadness, when I feel something disquieting, I mean, I'll just stop. I'll pull away. Okay, what's going on? What, what, what happened? Oh, yeah, I got that bill in the mail. All right, well, we can deal with that. Or, yeah. I let that little lie come in that I thought so-and-so said this about me. Or I read something on Facebook that seemed kind of judgmental. Were they talking about me? You guys following with what I'm saying here? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And getting the kind of sensitivity in your spirit where you offload, man, I am not going to carry unforgiveness, bitterness, or, or judgment, not one second. Man, something comes after me, whether it be a temptation to look at something or a temptation to, 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 to steal something, because immorality is not just sexual. It's lying, cheating, stealing. It's all that. So folks, look, the goal is for us to, be, to build these muscles. And how do we build them? Well, I'll tell you, we build them by building our spirit. Faith is a function of the spirit. A good conscience, of course, is a function of the soul. Working those together will bring us forward into a goal of being like him and happier, much happier people. As a counselor, talking to people to say, look, I see that you are depressed, you're angry, you're, di you're, you're distracted, you're confused. I know that in the Bible, it, it's narrowed down to three basic things. Let's just look at him. I mean, it, does, it doesn't take rocket science. And that's what can happen is then we just ask the Holy Spirit, where am I, where have I gotten off the tracks here? Lord, where, search me, try me, where, where? And the Holy Spirit is loving and faithful and just will come to us and, and usually just tell us, yeah, you're swinging the bat wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're, you, you've embraced a wrong philosophy. You, you're, you're biting into lies here. You're following a path that was what somebody else's path. That's not the path I have for you. That's not what holiness looks like. 
and he's so loving and he's faithful and just and good and patient to help us walk through these difficulties, to train us day after day, year after year, lovingly. Is there any scale that we use to measure someone's maturity? I suppose you could come up with one. I'm not interested in that. Not at all. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You know what my job is? I'm your trainer. I'm your spiritual trainer. And when you come here today, when you sit in those seats, then what you're telling me is, Pastor David, help me. Help me move on. And we do two things in order to help you move on. Well, we do three in particular. But the first one is when you come into worship, folks, worship, that is one of the most spiritual things you could do. It's not just singing songs. It is literally the winnowing moment. You want to know where you're off tracks? Come into the presence of God. And you begin to sing. And you begin to worship. And you, maybe you raise your hands up. And you just you approach his throne of grace, the Holy Spirit. And what will come to the surface is this literally all those struggles, perhaps in the holiness of God, you begin to remember where you, you spoke angry, angry or you looked at that thing or you, you embraced that thought. That's the moment where you really come into that wonderful place of his love because you can instantaneously, Lord, take it. Lord, forgive me. Lord, wash me in your blood right now. I confess that anger. I confess that lust, that judgment. I confess Lord, just this week, I haven't thought of you at all. Or some of the decisions I've made, I haven't prayed. Forgive me for that, Lord. I want to honor you with my life. So, Jesus, you've risen from the grave. Hallelujah. You've risen from the grave. And when I open my mouth up to say hallelujah, they're not just words. I'm telling him. And when I tell him, I'm, 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 I'm functioning in the spirit. And when I'm functioning in the spirit, I'm becoming He's doing it inside me. That's the most beautiful part. Is when you come into the presence of God, you're letting him fix you. Isn't that cool? You don't have to fix yourself. You just let him do it. He transforms your heart. He will change your passions. He will get inside there and begin to help you to pull down. You know, you know I was telling somebody, I actually was writing it very early this morning to a person who was asking for counsel very early this morning. And I said, look, I said, buddy, they're the most powerful thing on the planet apart from the power of God is the human will. Be for good or for bad. But if you will this morning give your will to God, then let him take you. Imagine what can happen when a person, when a human being who can run hundreds of miles, who can swim. I heard about a guy who swam all the way around England. I've heard of people doing triathlons and, and these super things that nobody dreamed they could do 100 years ago. But it shows you the human spirit. It shows you when we set our minds to do something amazing, we can get her done. Why are we not rising to the challenge when it comes to the spirit? Why is that less, any less important? Why is it an impossibility? It's not. When you engage your will, my friends, that is what we do in worship. But my heart as your pastor, because in, there in Hebrews 13 at the very end, the writer says, and now this is where I think it's really Paul. The writer says, look, follow me as I follow the Lord. Pray for those who are over you in the Lord. He says, because that's to your benefit that they're doing well. Follow them. So folks, look, it is my goal as a pastor of Valley Community Church to make this the most mature, the most worshiping, 
the most God-focused, the most Bible-preaching, most real and down-to-earth and fun and Satan-butt-kicking church that this region has ever seen. That's my goal. And so, you walk in this building, that's what I'm going to train you to do. You got a couple of muscle groups I think we need to work on. Faith and a good conscience. Keep working on them. Build your faith by reading the word. Worship God. We're going to do that in just a moment. And man, every chance you get, do a soul search. See what's going on on the inside. Why are you sad? Why are you lost? Why are you confused? Why are you off the path? Well, then just ask God. He'll show you. I don't have to point that out to you. And we're not a church that does that, by the way. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So as a good coach, I'm going to say, go home and keep working on that swing. Keep working on it. You'll get another chance. All right? Let's stand up this morning.